<laughs> Look at you. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. You see, we have an interview here with a special man, and we welcome in a man. He had 178 receptions for 2,258 yards and 14 touchdowns in his eight-year NFL career. One half of the Cinnamon and Sugar podcast, a Squatch watcher who doesn't believe in Bigfoot, but does go on ghost hunts, a movie critic who loves the Goonies. His favorite agricultural building is likely a barn. His favorite song is likely Footloose. And that brings us to welcome in Gary Big Play Barnage. What's going on, sir? I appreciate you having me on. I like the little background. <laughs> you know, I had to do a little bit of background. We'll show the graph again. But we had to do a little bit of background research on you. But Gary, before we dive into your life, how are you doing? How's the family? Family's good. Life's good. Can't complain. Enjoying life one day at All a time. Right. All right, and we're going to keep that good vibes carrying on to the dentist tomorrow. No cavities, right? Yep, none. <laughs> awesome. So, Gary, starting with the early years, you're born in Bowling Green, Kentucky. You play your high school ball at, Middle, at Middleburg High School. And then going to the college level, you stay local. You're playing at Louisville. Your stats getting better each year. 785 for freshman year. I mean, the stats just keep going on and on. Really hitting your stride your senior season, 53 catches, 655 yards, seven touchdowns. This also included a career game of four catches, 126 yards, two touchdowns, and a fumble recovery for, for a touchdown. That's a 34.6 fantasy point game. <laughs> Because that's, that's how we measure success, right? As fantasy points. That that is how people manage success nowadays in the NFL is fantasy for sure. All about what you can do for their score and their team. That's what it's all based on now. You probably <laughs> like hated fantasy except for that one year that you were really cooking with Cleveland. Well, I, I played fantasy. I, I've never really hated it. I think players, the thing players don't like most about fantasy is the aspect of people don't watch the games as much anymore. They just look at the stats. Oh, he had one catch. He must have been terrible. And then they go on social media and just rip them without actually knowing anything that happened in the game, what the game plan was, or any idea about anything. I think so that's probably the negative thing players hate about. Now, the positive is players would get a lot more fans for just them in general if they do well in fantasy. They get more jersey sales, all that kind of stuff, even if they're not local team. And I think that's a positive aspect, but I do think that negative aspect is very big because people don't actually pay attention to every game. They just assume they know what happened when it's they a see bunch the of, line. It's a bunch of trolls that hide behind their computer and then tweet that yep. you had three catches for 16 yards and I lost because of you. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, there's a fine line of doing that. Do you currently play fantasy now? I do. I don't, I don't actually watch football, though. Okay. I just you, play by just guessing. I don't, I don't actually pay attention to football. I don't watch games or anything anymore. Wow. So, like, you just check your box score and you're like, I won or lost? Yeah, but I'll never, like, I don't blame the players or nothing like that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, Gary, I want to go back to you. So, your senior uh, season, you had great success. It led you getting drafted in the fifth round of the OA draft, and the Panthers actually traded up to get you. Now, what did you drink when you got drafted? Uh, I actually don't drink alcohol, so I drink Coke. Okay. I, and, and you know, it's good for me to assume that you didn't drink alcohol. <laughs> so that's probably why you had a really long NFL career. Um, Absolutely. 
So your first year, you're mostly on special teams. Your second season, you got some more time at tight end, catching 12 balls for 242 yards. But what I think is really interesting is the following season, you played all 16 games, mostly on special teams. Did the Panthers say why you got more involved in your second season only for you to kind of scale it back year three? Not really. Uh, we actually, um, they Carolina drafted three tight ends three years in a row. So they drafted Jeff King then Dante Rosario and then me. So we actually were all still young playing. So I guess they were trying to figure out who's going to be the guy and all that kind of stuff. And they eventually after the third year, they let Dante and Jeff King walk. And then I went to my fourth year and then that's, I ended up getting hurt and they traded for Greg Olson. So, uh, and the rest of history in Carolina with that aspect, because obviously Greg Olson had a great career when he came back, came over to Cleveland. He was doing great in Chicago. And then that was also the uh, lockout year. So I got hurt in training camp uh, that year. I dislocated my ankle, missed the whole season. And I signed a one year deal for my fifth year in Carolina uh, after that. And cause I knew I was going to have an opportunity to play, next to Olsen as a second tight end. I know it wasn't going to be the guy, but I think that was the thing. I don't really know why. I think it could have been injury purposes, maybe Dante Rosario, because Jeff King was more of the, the blocking tight end and mm-hmm. Dante Rosario is more of the receiving tight end. And I would like to say I was a mix of both. So I think Dante might have been injured, and that's why I got more opportunities in my second year. But it also could have been because they were just trying to figure out who was going to be the guys going forward. And they eventually ended up letting both the guys go. Dante went over to San Diego, and Jeff King went going to uh, Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think it was a transition period. I know that's kind of you know when they phased out Jake Delhomme and you know the Jimmy Clausen era, and then obviously getting Cam Newton in 2011, and you know kind of the the focal point of the offense changing from there. Um, you know, you touched on the the ankle injury in the 2011 preseason. Um, but look, I'm a believer in things that happen for a reason. And you were signed with the Browns, where statistically that's where you'd have your best years. And there has to be something about 13, because that's the amount of receptions you had your first two years with the Browns. But going to the 2015 season, that's easily the best of your career. 79 catches, 1,043 yards, nine touchdowns, probably the fantasy football waiver wire pick of the year just because of how fair the tight end position is yeah uh it was an interesting aspect because going into that when I left Carolina I let the offensive coordinator who was there my uh last year in Carolina he took the head coaching job in Cleveland and he he basically told me that hey I want you to come here I want you to be the Greg Olson type here in Cleveland. So obviously for me, I'm like, that's awesome. He knows what I can do. Uh, Greg Olson type. That's great. Cause they're going to throw him the ball. I'm going to get to play more, all that kind of stuff. And then I went there and then basically was not given that role. Uh, I was given to Jordan Cameron and I just turned back into the blocking. Cause obviously I was able to do that well enough to obviously continue in Cleveland. And he wanted me there for that, but see, I didn't let that deter me. My thing was coming out of the draft. People had saw me as a receiving tight end. And then once I was in Carolina, I was labeled as a blocking tight end. I was no longer a receiving tight end. So they didn't really know what to label me as because I guess I could do both decently. So I'd always try to pride myself on going to do both. So when I was in Cleveland with Jordan, my whole goal was, hey, all right, if I'm not going to get the balls thrown to me, I'm going to make sure I'm one of the best blocking tight ends in the NFL. And I was able to do that. I was one of the best. I was the best pass blocking tight end in the NFL by over – I had 50 more pass blocks than any other tight end, and I gave up one pressure total in the whole on the whole season. So, like, I just used that as motivation to improve in other aspects of my game. And just when I get my opportunity, I'll, I'll 
show what I can do catching the ball. And then Jordan got hurt the second year in Cleveland, got a concussion, and I got in a couple times, and I made some uh, plays that allowed us to win some games or get in position to win games, uh, big catches and all that kind of stuff. And the coaches had, which I'll give a lot of it to Coach Patton, uh, they they had faith in me. They were willing to let Jordan Cameron walk. He went to Miami, and they were like, we're going to ride with Gary. And they, they obviously saw I was able to do it in practice and, and when my limited opportunities I was given in game to catch balls. And it showed because then, well, obviously I got that opportunity for the first time in my career, and I put up Pro Bowl numbers, and I put up top tight end numbers because I was the first time I was actually given an opportunity in that role. Mm-hmm. Gary, I got to ask you, uh, what was your game day ritual like in your breakout 2015 season with the Browns? So my game day rituals have actually been the same basically since uh, college. Um, it changed a little bit from high school. Uh, in high school, it was a little different because we didn't have the same – you don't have the same buildup before a game. But in college and all the way into the pros, I had a playlist that I've listened to every game before every game since. Uh, and then every game after, I had a cool-down list. But then I would listen. I wouldn't listen to that until we come in from pregame. So before that, I'm actually watching a movie or something on my phone or the iPad. I was watching a movie or something to just occupy. I wasn't even worried about football at that time. And then once we hit to the pregame, then now it's football mode. And then I put in the music and I've listened to that until we start the game. So I had about 15 to 20 songs I listened to before, and then I had about five to six that I listened to afterwards. Gotcha. So, Gary, you know, obviously that your eighth year, the seven year playing is um, that's your breakout season. And I don't think most players have a late breakout, at least, you know, this that amount of years into it. Was there any part of you that that, you know, thought about quitting prior or or maybe that you you know, I know that you're a believer in your skill and, and that's what you should be as a player. But just knowing sometimes like the opportunity doesn't knock or, you know, not everyone is fortunate to have that. Because I'm sure you know, you're a great blocker, but that's not what you aspire to go to the NFL to be. No, I, I've never had any aspects of of not wanting to keep going. My goal always, when I made it to the league, it was always a dream, obviously, to make it to the league. Once I made it, my goal was to play 10 years. At 10 years, I was done no matter what. I was walking away, and I was retiring at 10 years because that was just my goal. And uh, I got nine, but I, I, never, I never got deterred because – I was always going to do what I got to do to continue to be around here. And then when it came to like my first few years, I wasn't going to play. All right, well, I'm going to do it on special teams. And one of the years I was a special teams player of the year for the, for the Panthers. So like I was the best player on special teams, led the team in tackles. And all that you just got to do what you got to do until you get the opportunity. The whole aspect of the NFL is when you get an opportunity, there's so many players that never get their opportunity to show what they can do. And they have the ability there. They just aren't given the opportunity because whether it be there's somebody ahead of him or whether it be the scouts or the coaching staff just don't think he has that potential. And then he goes somewhere else and can, and, and Dom and balls. Like I was given that opportunity finally in my eighth year and you saw I was able to do that was always there. He was just never given the opportunity for one reason or another there. I'll give a prime example. There was, we had a player that was in Carolina with me, Evan Mathis. It was an O-lineman. he, got released in Carolina, couldn't even make the team in Carolina. He went to the Eagles and ended up being all pro, all uh, pro bowl multiple years, one of the highest paid offensive guards in the NFL because the Eagles actually saw something and the Panthers didn't. And he, I played with him. Like th- that happens so many times where players go to other teams and they get that opportunity and you get to see 
who they actually are and who they're built to play. And that's just based on the t- previous team, not giving the, those players the opportunity to show what they can do. God, is that something that's, that's typically common around the NFL? Like, you know, we see like free agents where they sign in new places, but are there organizations that are kind of known for getting the best out of players versus ones that don't kind of extract the talent? Uh, I don't think it's the best. Like I'll give the Patriots a thing. They don't care about where you were drafted. If you're a first round pick and you don't, look like you're doing well, they'll bench you. Most other teams aren't going to do that. Most other teams are, if you're a first-round pick, we're going to force you to play no matter what because we invested a lot in you. Whether you're terrible or not, we're going to force it. And mm-hmm. and then you just sit back for four years because you're going to you're going to play him for three to four years. Most teams aren't willing to cut cut uh, cut the guy or release him. Patriots have done it multiple times. They've cut second-rounders, third-rounders that didn't cut it, and they just cut their losses because they're like, oh, this guy ain't going to make it for us. And I think that's a, that's a testament to Belichick. I think he knows how to do that because he just doesn't care. It's not about where you were drafted. It's about what you can do for this team. And it's not about, oh, we, we're, we're going to lose money. Well, you're going to lose money no matter what if he doesn't yeah. pan out. So why not – why waste four years and then uh, have to rebuild from there? Why not just cut our losses now and then go from there? And I think that's the thing that uh, happens quite a bit is a lot of players get forced into starting roles or positions that they're not ready for. A prime example is Johnny Manziel. I, Johnny could have been a great quarterback. I don't. I don't. I have all the love for Johnny. I don't. I think Johnny was forced into the starting role by ownership, not the coaches. The coaches didn't want to start it, but the forced by ownership, and it ruined his career. He wasn't ready. I think Johnny needed a full year to sit and learn, and because he was going through things, and I think he would have benefited from sitting for a full year versus being forced into a, a position to start when he wasn't prepared. Do you think ownership did that for the marketability aspect? 1,000%. It's the only reason. We were at that point when he got put in, I think we were six and four or seven and four. We didn't win a game the rest of the year. So when he got, we were already had a winning record. We were doing all right. Yeah, we were like a two game slider or, or a game slider or something like that, not looking as good. But we didn't win a game the rest of the year once they made that change. Like it would have been, I think it would have served Johnny better to sit for a year to prepare and really understand what's all goes through a full season and versus being thrown into it. He just wasn't ready. And I think that ruined him. I don't think it was his talent. I think he had the talent. I think he just got ruined because he got forced to play when he wasn't ready. And the coach's staff wasn't, didn't want him to be the guy. That's why Kyle Shanahan left and he went and took a head coaching job somewhere else. Like Kyle Shanahan could have been the head coach in Cleveland many mm. years ago, but they forced his hand to put Johnny as a starter when he didn't want him as a starter yet because he knew he wasn't ready. And the rest is history. Now Kyle Shanahan's in 49ers and leading a great team there. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because we've had Hugh Jackson on this pod and, and obviously don't want to talk about that about the Browns because, you know, they're, they're a team that rewarded you financially. But he had kind of alluded to the same thing. He had talked about, um, you know, early in the draft, I forgot what year, where he was really big on Miles Garrett and they wanted him to take Trubisky. And he said, like, look, if, if I'm going to be the ones coaching, like I need some input. And so from what I've heard from him and, you know, people that have been on other podcasts is the Haslam's and I guess whoever else's ownership is very kind of hands on. Um, and, you know, it's, a, it's unfortunate because, you know, these are other people's lives and careers that, you know, are impacted by people who maybe don't follow football like that. So I don't know if it's all hazards. I do know coaches do have some input and in things, but I think the problem with a lot of teams nowadays is 
they try to base players off of analytics and analytics don't base a player can't determine if a player has heart or the will to play play through injuries and the ability just to keep going and all that kind of stuff. Analytics doesn't tell you that. Like that's what I was given when I was released from Cleveland. It was, Oh, you're an older guy and all this kind of stuff. While at the same time, Greg Olson's getting extended. Who was older than me. Delaney Walker was getting extended. Who was older than me and put, and literally we had the same numbers and that was, that was the excuse I was given. Uh, because they wanted to go young. Now, I don't know if that was coaching that wanted to go younger at tight end or if that was the GMs or I don't know, analytics. I just was, that's what I was told when I went in there was about being older and all that kind of same thing when I try to talk to other teams or like, oh, well, you're 31 and all that stuff. But as that, as that was happening, I'm seeing 33, 34-year-old tight ends getting signed. That mm-hmm. literally had the same numbers I had but didn't have eight quarterbacks. So we're obviously we're talking about the, you know, the, the unfortunate reality, but we're going to talk about the positive because mm-hmm. after that good year, you secured the bag, a three-year, $12 million extension with the Browns. So even though you play one more season with them putting up 55 for 612 and two touchdowns, you still secured the bag. It's a good contract, Gary. Proud of you. No, I, correct. And I, and I, I appreciate that. I, that's why I wanted to stay in Cleveland. And again, my goal was always 10 years. So I wasn't going to see the three years of that contract. I was going to see two and I was going to walk away. And I, oh, and I we set, you walk out well, on your terms. Well, we, and we set it that way in my contract because we knew, hey, they're probably going to release me after two years anyway. So we mm-hmm. set it up that way that if they did, they could release me and it'd be fine. That Because I knew what, what, what my plan was. And I knew the team wasn't going to stick with me that long because most teams don't like older guys because they think they can't produce. But it's been proven multiple times older guys are still able to produce and you don't have to put everything. That was the thing. We thought we at least had two years with them versus one, but it's all good. Yeah. Well, look, Gary, there is a Gary outside of football, and you've had quite the life. You and former teammate Bruno Giacomini, and I hope I said that right. That was correct. Oh, let's go. Started a not-for-profit called American Football Without Barriers. And I also want to highlight the movie club you did while on the Browns because I don't think it gets talked about too often. Um, And that's a really kind of great way to give back to the community. You've also appeared on TV as well. Yeah, I wanted to ask you what it was like going on a date with uh, two WWE divas. Uh, that is a very interesting aspect because it was something that was like, I'm a big wrestling fan. So me and D'Angelo Williams, we go to WrestleMania. We've been to like 10, we went like 11 in a row. So all the time we know a bunch of the wrestlers like uh, D'Angelo knows Jerry, the King Waller very well because obviously the Memphis ties. So I've gotten close with Jerry and we'd always go to like the little after parties that meet. And I had the opportunity to go on, be asked if I would be interested in coming on the show. And I said, yeah, why not? Because for me, I'm like something different. Like I'm always about trying something new. And so I yeah. said, why not? It was very interesting aspect. Uh, reality television is not for me. Uh, <laughs> it's not as real as people think it is. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to say too much of what was fake wasn't, but I will say that uh, reality television is not as real as everybody thinks it is. There's a lot of scripted nonsense that happens that uh, people think is real, which is crazy that people believe it's real, but... This uh, is breaking news. I thought it's been real this entire <laughs> yeah. time. But you would you you'd be amazed. But after I did that, I got so many messages like, "Oh, why would you do that to her? How could you treat her like that? Why could you say like, what are you talking about? Yeah, like people thought it was like how serious it was and how real it was, and they don't understand. Like for example, the date I went on with Rosa Mendez, 
we were there for an hour and a half filming. Literally, they used like three minutes. Really? So like they used like three minutes of it, and they basically the whole thing was they she said her list of what she expects in a guy, and then it literally cuts to me asking for the check. So like <laughs> editing magic, great for editing. So like no problems yeah. with it. They did what they're gonna do, which is great. I think it was great. That's a great scene to show. But that is definitely not how that went. <laughs> you picked up the check, though, right? Well, they picked the check up, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you're a gentleman. So yeah. if anything, this makes you look better. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, not to other people because obviously the next scene I'm on a date with somebody else or I'm talking oh, to somebody yeah. else. So That's the downside of Twitter. I'm sure this this is how you get a lot of those messages is people tweeting you and obviously having the blue verified checkmark. People know it's the Gary mm -hmm. Barnage. Um Quick, I want to talk about the pod game because you and D'Angelo Williams started the Cinnamon and Sugar podcast. So technically we're competitors. Um, but where did the inspiration for that come from? I wouldn't say competitors. I would say we're uh, co-workers. Oh, we're co-workers. <laughs> we're co I like this. We have different fields. Uh, we don't actually – we talk about sports occasionally. But me, me and D just love to talk to each other. We love to, like, hang out. We travel together. We like to do things. And, like, for us, like – we always talk about random things, like just so many random different things that we're like, hey, why not? Let's just do a podcast and just talk about like our normal conversations and see how people like it. And we've got great feedback because we literally talk about any and everything. Like nothing's off limits. We'll talk about conspiracy theories. It might be a whole episode, whether we believe on any of them or not. It's just we just talk about it. Why not talk about something that people talk about all the time, but they're afraid to talk about in a public forum? It's like we'll talk about any and everything. Like we talk about race quite a bit because obviously we, our dynamic is black and white. Mm -hmm. So like we talk about race issues because we have both sides and people are afraid to do that nowadays. And that's one thing we don't want to be afraid to push the envelope and talk about any and everything. So we just literally talk like we would talk to each other when we're together. So and that's where a lot of our conversations and questions come from is just, well, what, what would you do if this happened? Like a prime example, yet literally our podcast on Monday, we talked about the lottery. Like, and the whole my, one of our hosts thinks possibly that it could be a conspiracy theory that it could be rigged that way to get the government more money because uh, when it gets high like this, the government can obviously win and get all that money. And all of a sudden, last night in the lottery, they had an issue. First time ever, the drawing couldn't be done live the night of the drawing, it has to be done Tuesday morning. Mm. Just happened to be after we just talked about it. It's interesting. Now, I don't believe it's a conspiracy theory, but I think it's a very interesting topic to talk about. And I just think it's – so that's the thing. We just talk about any and everything and just have fun with it because that's what it's all about. I've watched some episodes, and the randomness of what you guys talk about is inspiring <laughs> because that's what I want us to be. You know, talking mm -hmm. with athletes is obviously cool. But at the end of the day, you guys are humans too, and you have these same random thoughts that we do. Um, well, Gary – well, we're sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. And one thing, that's one thing we want to show is we're more than just athletes. We're actually just like you and you, you and Cameron. We're literally just everybody. Like we're just like everybody else. Our jobs is having to be a higher profile job that happened to be on TV. It doesn't make us any different than anybody else. We all think the same. We all act the same and we all talk the same like that. that and that's the thing I think people forget when it comes to like people that are celebrities or athletes, they think they're somebody different. We're, we're not, we're all the same people and we all have the same conversation. I think that's the thing. We're just trying to give that more human touch to, to who we are versus us as an athlete. I love that. And Gary, that kind of segues into the last section because what we like to do 
um, to wrap it up is a little bit of rapid fire, some this or that questions. And I guarantee you have not been asked some of these before. Okay. And these are going to show the human side of you. You game? Done. Let's get it. All right. The first one, we'll just stick with football. The better jersey to wear, the Panthers blue or the Browns orange? Panthers blue. I figured that was an easy one. We're giving you a softball one. Cam, you yep. want to get the next one? Yep. So as a Ravens fan, I have to ask you, do you think you have better foot-eye coordination or better hand-eye coordination? <laughs> uh, I almost say uh, I had more luck with that catch, but uh, definitely hand-eye. <laughs> right. Respect, respect. And All right. Good. I also wanted to ask you, uh, who was your least favorite player to block in the NFL? Khalil Mack. Not even a question. Wow. Or, or yeah. prime Julius Peppers. Those are the two. I didn't care. I saw I'm, – I'm going to delve in a little bit more on these. But uh, Julius Peppers, for example, uh, I've seen him pick up Joe, Jordan Gross, who was an all-pro at the time, yeah. pro bowler, yeah. pick him up, set him down, and move out of his way to go. I've seen him chase D'Angelo Williams on a screen. He's backside, chases D'Angelo Williams down on a screen. And yeah. he's 300 pounds. And if he wanted to go, you couldn't do anything about it. And then Khalil Mack, he's uh, Joe Thomas will tell you he's probably the best player he's faced too. Khalil Mack, his rookie year was really even more dynamic than he is now because his rookie year they said, hey, do what you want to do. We will make you right. So he had no rules. He could have went inside. He could have went outside. He could have went straight down the middle. As an offensive guy, you're like, well, if I if he goes inside, that means – Somebody is. I'm supposed to block outside. There's supposed to be somebody there. He can't do that because there's somebody sitting out there, or there's nobody out there. But no, he went inside. And there was nobody out there to protect. And as an offensive guy, I'm like, well, that's not the rule. That's not what they can do. So now you have no idea how to block him because he could do whatever he wanted. But then it changed a little bit. But he's still outstanding. And I think those are the two best players I've ever faced. So you weren't scared of blocking James Harrison? No, because James Harrison, he didn't. I never. Go, gone against him that much in like a pass rush type. And again, I was bigger than he was. I'm tall. Yeah, he's short. But like all I got to do is I, gotta, I still got size. I still was like 250. He's like 240, but he's like six foot. I'm 6'6". Six, six. I still can get in his way long enough. I wasn't that worried about anything. Okay. He actually is the only guy that's hit me going across the middle that everybody's like, ooh. But he hit me in, in the chest. It's like it didn't really do anything because – I'm a big guy. I still can take a hit. You so nonchalantly say, I got hit by James Harrison in the chest. And it was just like, yeah, it was whatever. Well, again, I'm you bigger know, than a lot you of guys. 0.00001% of people can say what you just said. Yeah, well, again, I'm, I'm big. I'm a big guy. So, like, I take a lot of hits. I took a lot of hits going across the middle. So, And a lot of guys like to hit you low. So I respect that, like, James Harrison, even Troy Palma aren't hitting you in the low. They're trying to hit you right in the chest or in the face, and that I respect that. I, I respect that more than people that dove at my ankles. All right. I, that's fair. That's fair. To transition out of the NFL questions, you're a movie critic. So would you rather never be able to watch the same movie twice or never be able to watch your favorite movie again? Mm, I would be – I would say I would never want to watch – well, that would, that's, that's a double entendre – or not double entendre, but a screwing one because – if I can't watch the same movie twice, that means I can't watch my favorite movie twice. Okay, you can watch your favorite movie once. <laughs> but um, you can't watch the same movie twice. But after that one time, you can't watch your that that same movie again. Um, I would probably – I'd be fine with that because there's so many movies I could watch 
So if I, if I couldn't watch any movie twice, I'd be fine with that. I figured. Yeah, it seems like you have a wide library of that. Yeah, because you have so many things you can watch. But I, I can't – I need to be able to watch Forrest Gump multiple times. That's fair. So I saw in one of your podcasts you had an N64 shirt, so I assume you're a vintage gamer. Yep. What's your favorite N64 game? Obviously, the go-to is for people's GoldenEye. And uh, Goldeneye, and you got uh, Mario Kart, but for me, it's Ocarina of Time. Okay, Ocarina of Time, that's a good answer. And then, number well, obviously, other than the two generic answers, would be Banjo Kazooie. You know, I have an N64 in my place, and I didn't, I never played that. I never, I was a big, you know, Mario Party, Super Smash Bros., Star Fox, Mm -hmm. but I never got into Star Fox, I had it, but I never got into it. Oh, Gary, do you have your N64 now? I do, I do. You got to play. You got You have to beat Andros. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd rather play Ocarina of Time. Okay, that's fair. Valid. What is your favorite cereal? Uh, it's a tie. It's a I tie? Have, yeah, because it, it just depends on the – oh, I guess it's not a tie. It's, it depends on the mood. So I have three cereals that I – or my go-to I eat all the time, but it just depends on the mood I'm in. It's Fruity Pebbles, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and Lucky Charms. Those are the like three different ones. So, so somebody says you can only have one. You can only, I can only have one. Yep. It might would probably be probably Lucky Charms. Okay. That's the first person I've heard say that. I like that answer. I like that. And I love that you had that already like responded like you've been asked. Well, I'm actually going to eat some cereal after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so one of those three. I love it. Would you rather live in a world where you sing instead of talk or dance instead of walk? Ooh, can I dance and can I sing though at that moment or no? Like you can sing, like how you know you're comfortable with your voice or you're comfortable with your dance moves, but now you're I think like, I'd rather be able to sing than dance. So we would have to do this entire podcast, you know, with the singing which voice, hypothetically, which is great. <laughs> If I could sing, I'd be all for that. All right. All right. We got three questions left, and I saved the best three for last. Would you rather post on your social media you lost in a bench pressing contest to D'Angelo or post that you went to Michael Jackson's funeral? And I listened to your podcast for that one. Probably losing to D'Angelo because it did happen. So it, it did. Yeah. You were talking with so much smack, though. Got to go watch the Cinnamon vs. Sugar series on YouTube. We have a series where we did it, broke down what well, we did eight challenges against each other, and he beat me in the bench press. Oh, now, man, oh, let me clarify, that. though. Let me clarify thing. I hadn't touched a weight in four years. He works out regularly, and he barely beat me. So you you have to get the your redemption, though, right? Well, go watch the series. Like, that's all I can say. We're, we're right, working on right. another series of the same thing, uh, season two. But we, the series right. is really good because we have a lot of different competitions. All right, I ought to catch up on some more episodes there. The last two, a bell ring every time you're horny or never be horny again? Um, Bell ring. <laughs> I was surprised you had to think about it. Yeah, you got a big bell ring because come on now. <laughs> <laughs> the last one, would you rather fight Mike Tyson once or you have to talk like him the rest of your life? Fight him once because I make a good payday to get knocked out. Wow. That is the that is the capitalism answer that nobody has given. Mm-hmm. So if I can make $40 million, let him knock me out. All right, let's go. 
Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, you're a podcaster. You can't have anything happen to that voice. Especially, uh, imagine if you do the double and you're singing with the Michael Jackson voice. Yeah. yeah the subs are going down the tube. <laughs> but Gary, we really appreciate you you coming on. Um, before we get you out of here, is there anything you want to plug to our audience where they can find you um, on the socials? You know, obviously that your podcast, any of that good stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. Just my socials. Just my name. Gary Barnage. Super easy. Uh, podcast cinnamon sugar it's on youtube spotify android apple all the places you'd find it it's, it's where it's at uh me and d'angelo every week and then our youtube we just come up with random things and we got some things in the works so we'll see uh stay tuned for it because it's going to be very interesting thing for work. yeah and if you're listening to this make sure you like subscribe give five star ratings and reviews all that helps father algorithm and uh, make sure you give Gary a follow on the socials because he's definitely worth it. I appreciate it. Hey, Gary, 